and welcome to Minute 121 of Season 3 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Jeanette Ward of the Mundane Adventures of a Fangirl. Welcome to the show, Jeanette. Hey, I'm so happy to be here, and let me just say off the top, I understand the honor I have been granted of these these few minutes in particular this minute and then the next four i could not be happier these are some of the best minutes of the movie i'm very excited to be here can't so wait to talk about it. so that's what this is all about <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm actually once again surprised we're at the two hour point of this minute you know we we don't have that much more to go we got yeah. 12 minutes left of, the, of this movie uh unfortunately but we'll we'll, we'll have something else next season you know, which we'll, we'll start right after. So, you know, it's it, there's nothing to be too upset about. We finish one movie and we immediately start the next one. And then we finish that one and we'll start the next one. You know, that, that's that's, great that's the plan. Go. That is the plan. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't like to lag in between seasons because, you know, if you if you lag in between seasons, you, you, you lose the momentum. I like having the momentum. Right. That's you know? right. And, and this way, my listeners don't have to say, oh, do I have to wait another few months to listen again? Or I can't believe that I have to come back tomorrow and listen to me. I don't know. It depends on how they right. want to look at it, you know. So, Minute 121 begins with John slowly moving forward as sparks fly all around him and ends with John lowering his gun. So, we, we, we finish things off on Friday with John seeing that he has two bullets and then he starts walking and he knocks out Kristoff and then he's starting to come into the vault itself and start screaming, Hans, Hans. <laughs> it's like, he's, he's like screeching as he's doing it. It's just, it's, it's, it's great. He's like whining. Are you, are you familiar? Are you, yeah. Are you familiar with the, with, with the Saturday Night Live skits from the eighties, the, the whiners with Joe Piscopo and I, I don't remember who played the the woman, but it was like, I we're, about that in a we're of Doug and Wendy Weiner. I, I haven't either. The, I, I just thought of it because I was, I was whining or, or John is whining. I, I, didn't, I didn't view uh, John's call here as a whine. I viewed it as a, it's a final call to battle. It is, it is a signal of both. He's at the end of his rope. He's throwing everything into his last ditch plan here. This is it. This is, it all comes down to this and it is, much less a whine than it is a guttural growl of this is all I have left Hans this is it we're doing it (laughs) yeah definitely especially since he's dispatched with just about everybody you know and and even at this point John doesn't know how many terrorists there are that's the that's the best thing about this it's not as if there was at one point where he saw everybody and said okay I got wait actually I'm going to test you just like I test everyone how many terrorists are there well, the answer is between 30 and 40. <laughs> no Terrorists, not wrong. hostages. <laughs> not hostages. 10-ish. Uh, because mm. I should have, I should, you can count them when they come out of the van in the beginning. And you know I don't. And I could try running down the list of them. That's not going to work either. And in this minute, you have Hans and who I've always referred to as not Huey Lewis. That's correct. Couldn't tell you that dude's name. I don't know the actor. It's Eddie. It's Eddie. He's but, but, not Huey Lewis. But that, that's that's great that everyone thinks he's Huey Lewis. You know, one of my guests months ago is a documentary director, uh, Kurt uh, Kurt 
uh, I always forget how to pronounce his, his last name. Kurt Kenny, I think it's it's pronounced, spelled K-E-U-N-N-E. So I, I think it's Kurt Kenny. And he has been following Huey Lewis around for like three years doing a documentary about him. And it was just so amazing having him on the show and him pointing that out to me, you know, that, 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 that Huey Lewis and, and he even brought up the fact that Eddie looks like Huey Lewis. And I'm like, this is a guy who, who personally knows Huey Lewis. It's not even someone who, you know, who, who, it's not like the rest of us who just look at him and say, okay, he's got the Huey Lewis eighties look, you know, except for in back to the future where his hair is, uh, you know, slicked down. Look like Huey Lewis. That's the That's only right. time Huey Lewis doesn't look like Huey Lewis. Yeah. This, right. And, and this, this poor guy, Eddie, I constantly and since 1988 have simply referred to him as not Huey Lewis. That's right. All right, let's let me test you on something else then. So in in the when John shows up at Nakatomi and he looks at the first guard, who does he who's that first guard remind you of? The guy who's who's you know sitting at the counter and tells him that you know uh, the computer's so smart. You, if you need to find your zipper, if you did, it'll help you. Yeah, if you if you gotta take a piss, it'll help you find your zipper. Um. Does he recognize? Does he look like someone from the '80s that you would think of? I've he brought does. this up so he many times. Like every and... dude from Chicago from the '80s. Are you looking at him right now? Are you looking at? No. Oh, okay. I, I thought you. Were... Oh, okay. I thought up. you. Were... I thought you like scrolled back. That, you know, that's and... my, that's my, this is where I look when I'm considering. Um, okay. right. I feel like he looks like a guy from one of the the Bears sketches. No, he doesn't have a mustache. <laughs> the other guy does. The second, the, guy, the, guy the, the second hallway. one, the second one who who gets shot, uh, you know, when 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 the that little bay, puck explodes, exactly. Guy. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He he looks like he's from that. They're right. The the, the bears doubles. Uh, <laughs> That's who I'm thinking. Yeah, no. Thinking so the first guy looks to me like John Larroquette. Oh sure, of course. Yeah. Oh, so he... yeah. <laughs> Don't bring and that up now. That's what I'm gonna think. I can bring it up now. This this guy's been dead for for almost two hours, <laughs> I can still talk about him. <laughs> okay, yeah. Still talk about the way he is. Okay, so I mean, John starts walking, and he really he just you know he's he's moving slow, slowly dragging his foot behind him. Obviously, finally, you know, the rest of the time he's 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 got you know his his uh, injured foot, but he's still able to 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 walk normally. Now he's dragging it. You know, I guess maybe because he had to put it up against the glass last week or something like that, you know. He's actually showing some signs of injury. Yeah, exactly. And he just looks like a mess. You know, there's... But here's the question. Is that performative on some level to allow Hans to believe he has the upper hand, that John has absolutely nothing left? Is the limp, is the covered in grime, is the, the guttural scream, is all of that performative? Um, that is a great question. I, I think, first of all, I think, I think the, the grime is not okay. The no, grime, no, that, that, okay. that, uh, the tank top, the, the mystical tank top. It's not a tank top. It's, it's an eight, it's an A shirt. Eight wife beater. There you go. Wife <laughs> beater. We, we talked all about that. Yeah. It starts out white and then you just, uh, ends up. I didn't say white beater. I said wife beater. <laughs> <laughs> Ends up, yeah, it just the most glorious shade of grime-soaked brown. Wh- Actually, is he, is he even still wearing a shirt? I think he's no longer wearing a shirt. No, no at this point, the shirt has disappeared. He's no yeah. longer wearing a shirt. It's but dis- that, disintegrated. That so, yes, all, yeah, honestly, <laughs> I, I believe it. Between the fire, the explosions, the jumping, he's coated in so much crap at this point. But it, Actually, it, didn't, he, didn't he? I think he ripped off his shirt to, to wrap his foot. 
I think that's what wow. he did. They never showed us. They never showed us him doing that. But I think that's that is what he did. It would be logical. And, and so listen, the lump, the the lump, the limp we know is makes sense. His foot is clearly injured. The the slow crawl of a walk down the hallway makes sense. We know he struggled a lot. Uh, the holding the large automated weapon. That's an MP5. Walking into this situation with a last-ditch plan in his head to save his wife and to end this situation. Is a strange wife. Is a strange wife. Um, but I and and we know he's certainly suffering. But I'm I just wonder if he's maybe turned the volume up on all of it to allow Hans to get a little bit overconfident because at this point everything is still. While things have kind of fallen apart for Hans and his crew, everything is still kind of going his way. Yeah. He thinks Theo is down there in the basement getting the getaway car ready, and he's he's got not Huey Lewis with him. He's got his pile of money. In theory, he's thinking he's still got this, and now here's his last enemy, limping, clearly beaten, bruised, bloodied, nothing left. He feels like he has the upper hand. So maybe it's all, it's not all an act, but a lot of it could be an act. Okay, that, that makes sense. Well, first of all, I didn't answer the question from before about how many terrorists there are. There are 13 terrorists. Okay. 13. No. And there are four left alive. Okay. I, we, have, <laughs> we have Theo unconscious in the ambulance. We have Christoph unconscious on the floor in the vault. And then we have not Huey Lewis, Eddie, and Hans. Hans Gruber. Those, those are the four that are left alive. Okay, so that makes sense. And Theo doesn't count because he's already unconscious. And and so is Christoph. And so and Christoph I find it I find it really funny. I mean, I talked about this on Friday with with Heather that it's really funny that that it happens in the same minute that the two of them get knocked out. <laughs> you know, it here you have here you have a movie that's 132 minutes, and they one of the minutes has two of the terrorists get knocked out. I don't think there's the right. only other time that that something happens to two terrorists in the same minute is when you know Alexander and and James both get disintegrated from the uh, from the chair bomb, you know. But right. everyone else, it, their deaths are all sp- spread out through the rest of the the movie. And so are these two, Theo and Kristoff, the only two to make it through the movie alive, and we assume end up in custody? Yes. All yes. right, there you go. That we assume. I mean, apparently I one never, of one of the. Never thought about that before. That at some point Theo is sitting in a jail cell, ruining the day he agreed to take a job for Hans Gruber. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. And and what what I I actually just read I think today that one of the stuntmen that was used as uh, or one of the actors that was used as one of the terrorists, um, the day that his character died. He wasn't able to be on the set, so they had a stuntman play him. So he said he's actually not dead. His character is not really dead, you know, and therefore, That's and therefore, buddy. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, well, it is his only claim to fame, you know, the All fact right, that I'll... he was the fact that he was in Die Hard and got you know got stitched through the through 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 the abdomen by John, you know. So <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> Oh, so what, what do you think? Do you, th- do you think John is, is just overacting here? I, I think that he's certainly playing it up in order to allow Hans, because if Hans get over, gets overconfident, you know, he's, it, it plays to John's favor. He, so this is, his this is back to John uh, using his street smarts. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. go in, get, he, give the, the fake out. John 
an everyday hero, a relatable, why Die Hard works, right? And I'm sure you've talked about this over and over again, but this movie easily, in my, in my opinion, and in, I think, the AFI's opinion, the best action movie ever made. Yeah, for sure. Mine too. Easily, so there you go. easily one of the best movies ever made. And it's because it rises above, especially at that time, a lot of the other 80s action movies, because you have a, a, a center, a lead that's kind of more of an everyman. Like, this is a guy who didn't want to be there, wasn't happy about the situation, having, in general, kind of a bad day, gets stuck in a situation, does his best to solve the problem at hand. And I feel like that is what makes this movie... No, that's one of the reasons this movie is so great. The other yeah. is that every single piece of it fits together perfectly. The performances are exceptional. The cast is perfect. And nothing is wasted. You, you watch movies a lot where there'll be this or that or this, and it never comes back again. Everything in this movie, down to the uh, the calendar of topless ladies, comes back around yes. and helps you either identify a location in the building or... Um, remember the flow of characters or remember who is who and where everybody is and and so every little thing comes back and i think that this movie uh, this minute in particular you start to see that and we could talk about it a little bit more i think tomorrow or maybe the day after but um every little aspect of this comes back and in this case in particular the uh, the christmas tape <laughs> Yes, because it, it's a movie that doesn't have to hit you over the head with exposition. It does a lot visually, um, right? Because we saw him look and see the Christmas. Sorry, sorry, babe. Uh, see the Christmas tape sitting there, and so we kind of have an idea what he's going to do, and then we see that play out. So, such a good movie. And there are such tons of things. I mean, if, you, if, if if I were to go back and make a list of all the things that I've discussed over these last 120 episodes of things that have come back, it's just it's amazing. You know, I and mean, even 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 two weeks ago when when, you know, John wrapped the um, the chain around Carl's neck. OK, we yep. see that chain earlier in the movie. It's yep. there and it's not just, yeah. you know, it, it's giving us an idea of where this location is, like you said. And it's also something that's going to be used later. Like, you know, the whole idea of, you know, Chekhov's gun and stuff like that. This movie has so many yep. different Chekhov's things. You know, the, the, you know, the craftsmanship. I mean, again, we're going to talk about later this week. Chekhov's watch. You know, it's, yeah. it's no, but it's it's all connected. Yeah, it, it is exceptionally crafted on a level that you just you didn't see before and you don't really see after. It, this right. movie is very well done. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and as, as much so as I love. To what I think that John is a character who every advantage he can pull will and he's already met Hans at this point, like face to face, and it has formed an opinion of him. If <laughs> he did some criminal profiling, it knows that if he can feed into Hans's ego, let Hans believe he has the upper upper hand, really play into that. I mean, he, he's clearly hurting. He's not. He doesn't have to sell that real hard. But if he can amp that up and let Hans believe, like, well, there's this guy's got no chance now. He knows it'll work to his advantage. So yes, I think some of it, on some level, is performative in order to gain the upper hand. Okay, that that's completely fair. I mean, one of the things that you mentioned that 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 John, you know, is already familiar with with Hans. So one of the the theories that we came up with throughout the the you know doing this movie was when we were talking about when he was Bill Clay. Okay, like yes. why would he use the name Bill Clay? So we came to the assumption that Bill Clay was their inside man, and he's the one who yeah. gave them all the information, and therefore Hans Hans killed him. He's probably in Theo's trunk. Okay, in in front of the building, because therefore Hans was when when he said his name is Bill Clay, 
Okay, he was taking a chance that that John maybe had met Bill Clay, but the odds were if is because he knows that that who Bill Clay is. So mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. some some nice theories. You know, fan fiction, yeah. I guess you can say. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I also just in this particular minute too, because you mentioned it starts with John walking in, and you've got the sparks coming down, and it's dimly lit, and John's kind of backlit, and there's flaming bits of everything just kind of drifting. The set design on this movie, which I'm sure you discussed, it, beautiful. Yeah. It it just looks fantastic, and and to the point where by this point in the movie, and again because nothing is wasted. The audience feels like they know the layout of Nakatomi Tower. You, you know which floors are and and the layout of the floors and what's happening and where things are. It's it's really well done. And and this scene in particular, the way it's lit, the way it's shot, the way things are happening in the background, it's beautiful. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, it was completely done done amazingly. I mean, the movie was nominated for four Oscars. Okay, it didn't win yeah, any yeah. of them. Okay, it was nominated for Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best mm-hmm. Sound Effects Editing, and Best Visual mm-hmm. Effect, which we'll we'll, yeah, yeah. we'll get to later this week when we talk about some of those. But you know, un- unfortunately, I lost every one of them. Uh, some some more that's deserving right, than others. Nominated. Uh, apparently, <laughs> that that's all they can say here. That's for sure. I think you know. the the other thing I do want to mention about this minute in particular is this is the minute where ha- Hans explains his whole. Not his whole plan, but basically the summary of his plan. Well, like, it, no, so this is when still, he explains it to John. It's already been well, yeah, explained yeah. to anybody, everyone else. You know, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, so <laughs> the first thing is, is that that Holly then sees the way John looks, and her response is Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I well, love he doesn't look great. And, doesn't and, look great. But hey, this is you know, this is what's bringing her back to him. Or bringing him back to her, whatever you can say, whatever you want to look at it, you know. And and I love his response she, she where he realizes, goes, like number one, he looks terrible, but number two, she begins to realize what he has gone through to get to her. Right. That's true. And I mean, obviously, the the you know his response to her is going to be snappy because th- this is the movie with snappy comebacks. And he goes, "Hi, honey." Very quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very quippy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but and, again, even that whip it serves to keep Hans off balance. Right. Yeah. And you know, at, as he's walking, we see that Hans starts moving backwards, as he's like trying to keep, you know, uh, to 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 have a greater distance between the two of them. And he uses Holly as a shield, and then uh-huh. puts the gun to her head. Uh-huh. You know, which, as we know, he'll he'll use it if he needs to. You know, he's he's not it's, someone who's going to be shying away. And at the same time, we see Eddie slash not Huey Lewis uh, walk towards the other side of of the, the room, which which is right, great. Because he wants to get out of the way because he knows nothing's greater than the power of love. That is true. <laughs> if I can work other Huey Lewis songs. Hey, why not? But no, but you said the, the greatest power of love that that that, you know, you're. You're mixing two different songs together there. Oh you know, boy! All right. You just have to say the power of love. You know. No, but also he sees. He also sees where his gun is. He sees where his gun is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's moving towards his weapon. I do want to talk about uh, Bonnie Bedelia. Bedelia, um, just the fact that, and I, I, in all the times I've watched the behind the scenes of these, this movie, 
the fact that Holly in this movie operates top to bottom as if someone who she's frustrated with her estranged husband, but also is such a strong character through this movie in and of itself. It, in that she does behave like a cop's wife throughout the, from the start, she knows not to reveal her connection to John through this movie, not not to let the terrorists have any information, to take charge, to step up, and to start negotiating with them when necessary. And even in this moment, seeing him, recognizing how terribly he looks, not visibly falling apart or becoming rattled, knowing, and we don't know if she... And her 80s hairstyle stays, stays in place. I don't know if you remember, but hairspray in that time yeah, I know. did not fit. I do, I do, um, I do. <laughs> but she she clearly understands that he has a plan, even if she has no idea what it is, and she keeps her eyes on John in order to be ready for whatever comes next. And I, I really appreciate, again, the way the character's written, but the way the character's performed. There's kind of the dual level in this movie for everybody, and she does such a great job. Yeah. Okay, I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, she does a great job. This, this is one of her best performances. There's no question about that. She's she's had a few others. I mean, she was she was also great in Presumed Innocent, but she she was okay. she was more of a, a uh, she was played as a background character in Presumed Innocent. We'll put it that we'll leave it at that. You know, yeah. I don't want to as a as a much more of a supporting role. Here she's she's less of a supporting role because she's, she's so prominent. She's one of the lead. That's right, because she's so prominent, especially. You know, when no one else, when everyone else knows that they can't trust uh, Ellis. You know, she's the one well, who. and I will as a female fan of action movies in the 80s, it could often be very rough. <laughs> it, you, you don't get a ton of strong female characters, and certainly not one who's ready to step aside when need, but also, like, she steps up in this movie. She's fantastic. Right. So. She's no Ellen Ripley, but she still does a great job here. Yes, somewhere between Ellen Ripley and Erica Eliniak in Under Siege. Okay, that, that's <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you've gone into the '90s, but okay, that's fine. We'll we'll, we'll give you a little bit of. It's not just '80s, you know. Early early '90s. Yeah, early '90s, sure. '92, come on, so it's still. All right. Uh... All right. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Anyway. So, so uh, John walks into the room, and then we get like a great shot showing the triangular uh, triangulation of the three of them. You know of 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 Eddie Hans and 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 John, you know which which really makes it look like this is going to be a Mexican standoff, you know which mm-hmm. is done really really well, you know the way that they're all keeping their distances and I mean I, I I didn't measure it but it does look like they're all equidistant of one another. Yes. You know what? And it's another reminder that these these. These are not your average, average, everyday, run-of-the-mill thugs. Like these are highly trained, very specialized terrorist uh, thieves who are well trained and ready for this plan. And and that John is doing his best to keep up with them. He is kind of outmatched and outclassed by these guys every step of the way, and that is another reason he's incredibly relatable and a great, a great action hero star. Right. Well, that that's also one of the reasons why. The, the movie also works because it's it's he's using his street smarts against their uh, I guess you can say professional smarts. Yes, yes, training and and yeah. uh, money. <laughs> yes, and yes. So John, at this point, as you mentioned earlier, figures out the plan and he goes. So that's what this is all about: fucking uh, robbery. <laughs> yeah, like he, and I like the fact that he figures it out immediately. He's in the vault. 
he's looking around. He sees all the bags filled with the bearer bonds, you know, which which last week Heather and I also talked about the fact that that bearer bonds were very popular in eighties movies. Very popular, yeah, and. <laughs> You know, never figured that out, but you know, hey, whatever. Well, no, it's it it has to do with the fact that bearer bonds, you know, you anyone if you're holding them, you can cash them. That's what it comes down to. You don't need to bring any proof yeah. of who you are. There you know, you go. here I got a I got a bearer bond. Okay, great. <laughs> I'll I'll cash it in for you. Here's here's a hundred thousand dollars. What I like about this <laughs> is the fact that the way John says a robbery is to in, uh, attempt to insult Hans and to bring yeah. him down like it. Like a robbery is so beneath you. Exactly. It's so, yeah. Which I, I was expecting work, more from you. You know, I wasn't yeah, yeah, expecting. Yeah. I wasn't expecting you to be just this, this, you know, this this dumb schmuck doing uh, doing a robbery. You know, and you know the whole idea is to keep him, you know, keep keep Hans as off balance as possible. Absolutely. You yeah. Know. And again, to play into Hans's hand to make Hans feel overconfident. Yeah. And then Hans continues to threaten Holly. And hoping, yeah. hoping that John will, will, I don't, again, I, I, I was about to say, you know, hoping that John will, will, will call his bluff, but Hans is willing to shoot her if he needs to, you know, for his own survival, yeah, I, I but he Hans, still wants to use her like as, as, as a pawn here. John is trying to make Hans feel overconfident. And I think that Hans is trying to make John feel emotional and off balance. Right. Which John could theoretically say, oh, well, you know what? <laughs> She left me six months ago. I don't care. Shoot her. <laughs> I don't need her. And so Hans then says to him, put down the gun. And then John continues to chat him up. And he goes, why'd you have to nuke the whole building, Hans? You know, he's still finding ways to, you know, to he, he's fishing for information, but at the same time, you know, trying to keep Hans off balance. Yes. You know. So, I, first of all, I love the fact that he says, "Well, you have to nuke the whole building." You know, what? What do you? What, what when someone uses the word "nuke," where? What? Where do you go with that? It, it, the ultimate destruction that there is absolutely nothing left in any case. Right. Okay. Do you know when it was? It started to be used. No. As a verb, even. Nope. Okay. So obviously, nuke is short for nuclear weapons. Or for you know a nuclear uh, holocaust or whatever, you know. So the 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 use of it as a verb was actually started in 1962 when they would say someone would nuke you know they would nuke you. Um, in 1987, which is just the year before this movie came out, it was it began to be used for if you're cooking something in a microwave oven. Sure, you know, I'm gonna sense. nuke nuke my uh, leftovers or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So, but the the word nuclear goes all the way back to 1841. Okay, where it was used as a scientific term for the nucleus of a cell, mm-hmm. and it it came from from the French word. Um, again, I don't know how to pronounce French very well, so forgive me all those French speakers out there. But it's nucléaire. <laughs> I'm just gonna. You know, say it with a little bit of an accent. It it is spelled a little differently. It's N U C L E with a with a uh, you know what 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 do you call an E with a apostrophe over it? Exactly. Accentigo. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, a I R E. Okay, which which basically means that it was the central, you know, it's the the center part of something. Okay, in 1914 they started using it as the nucleus of an atom. 
1945, when they started talking about uh, nuclear reactions, so therefore the, the word nuclear started being used. I do. I, I'm the, I've heard it used in terms of a microwave, but it does now that in this discussion, it seems a very, a very odd way to use it <laughs> to nuke something in the microwave. Right. The, the term nuclear energy started being used in 1930, nuclear physics in 1933, nuclear war in 1954. Uh, nuclear winter was actually coined by a scientist named Richard Turco, but it wasn't used until 1983 by Carl Sagan, who was quoting him. So nobody knows exactly when R Richard Turco said that, whatever. Now, the, and then you have nuclear family, you know, mm. with, which was started to be used in 1949 when they were talking about the social structure. A, uh, the anthropologist named G.P. Murdoch started using that uh, term. So, yeah, it, it has a lot of different meanings. But as you said, this is not the first place I would go when when I'm, you know, you know I wouldn't say you blew, blew up the building. I wouldn't necessarily say when you nuked the building or whatever. I think it might be another, I mean, you, you could do a deep dive into the fact that, right, Hans is German, and maybe he's using that as another weapon to try and throw Hans off balance. And I I, I don't know. It, it may simply just be that it was commonplace uh, term at the time to refuel, uh, talk about complete and utter destruction. In any case. Right. Now, the, the rest of the minute is Hans doing his, his best impression of a James Bond villain. And basically yes. explaining, you know, to not just to John, but also to us, you know, if we didn't catch yet what his plan is, now we know what it is, yeah. you know. Well, and it's such a good explanation, too. When you steal 600 bucks, you can just disappear. When you steal 600 million, they will look for you. They will Unless find they you. think you're already dead. They will find you. Yeah. It, what, it, what a perfect explanation for exactly what he was doing, a, the plan, the wiring the roof of the building it just it all makes sense. okay but except for one thing now the building has blown up he blew up the the, the roof as he wanted to blow up okay yeah you would think especially post 9 11 okay if someone if the idea is to blow up a building you would want the, the entire building to be demolished okay so that that they wouldn't even notice necessarily that the the floor with the vault which is only four or five floors below the 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 roof you know it should be completely demolished but they're still there well that's an interesting question right because you're right he just did the roof but he knew because he was going to have the helicopter land on the roof hmm that's a good no question. but how much rubble is on the roof that they're gonna, you know, how how long well, if you will blow it take? Up the roof, how many floors? Uh, that's right. Collapse but that's, when you blow up. But the that's roof. my point. You know, even even if four floors collapsed, okay, you know, they'll they'll have to sit sift through all the rubble. But they're gonna expect to find bearer bonds there. They're gonna expect to find uh, more bodies than just the the hostages there. You know, you'd think that that Hans would have like strewn around some of the bearer bonds up there also. You know, which they never showed us. They never showed us that he did that. So we don't we don't know if he did or didn't. You know, that's a good point. Whatever. It's it's, it's out of love for this movie. Not 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 from any other place. You know, I'm I'm trying to help make Hans' plan to, better. To chance, I I have to I have to believe that he had a plan for that as well. That, that maybe he didn't explain it in this minute, but surely he he considered that. Correct. Correct. And I mean, as he's talking. 
know, he, you know, it, it's really funny as Hans is talking. So we see like flaming papers, you know, flying past his head, you know, as he once again continues to, uh, you know, jam his gun into Holly's face, you know, and <laughs> into her temple. Exactly. And, and John is, you know, we, we see he's looking on, a, you know, what's he supposed to do? He, you know, we, we know what his plan is because we know what's going to happen over the next, uh, you know, few minutes. But when John is, is, is doing this, you know, he's in this point, he is faking out, trying to fake out Hans by showing that, okay, I'm, I'm ready to actually, you know, uh, you know, should I give up or shouldn't I give up? Even though he knows that he's going to drop this gun because, you know, this gun is useless for him except for as a prop. And then the, the minute ends as we see John starting to lower his gun down a little bit. You know, yes. but, but we don't... Again, playing into Hans's hands. Yes. Correct. Correct. Hans's hands. <laughs> so did you have anything else you wanted to say about this minute before we get into the script? Let me consult my notes. No. And what do your notes tell you? <laughs> my notes tell me that uh, this is where John begins to enact his final plan. Oh, he's okay. beaten. He's bruised. He's at the end of his wits. And not Huey Lewis moves closer to his weapon. <laughs> <laughs> and then Hans explaining the plan, which I really like. I mean, while we all kind of had an idea of what his plan was and we got it, this, to have him clearly explain, no, this is what I'm doing. Love it. And then the set, again, I just think it's fantastic. So, and again, yeah, they now only have plan. to split it between four people. Instead of thirteen, <laughs> like Hans is not complaining, and we—I personally believe that he didn't really have an extensive prior connection with any of these folks. Like he assembled this team for this job, so he's not crying when they start getting knocked. Right, out. exactly. Except for for his lack of, you know, uh, stability throughout. But beyond that, yeah, yeah. no, for sure. I mean, yeah. maybe um, we're assuming that he knows Carl and maybe Theo from somewhere else. But even Maybe. even they don't know the whole plan. We've, we've talked about this a lot. And they don't know each other. That's right. He's he's compartmentalized everything here. You know, Hans is the only one who knows the whole plan. Correct. You yeah. know, even yeah. even Carl was shocked when he started talking about Asian Dawn. And Asian Dawn? Asian Dawn? I, I read about them in – on what do you say? I read about them in Time Magazine. You know, but, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, Theo didn't know how he's going to get the seventh lock open. You know, and, and I've said this before, if I was in Theo's job and I'm I'm there to break through six locks and the the person in charge doesn't tell me how they're going to get through the seventh lock, I don't think I would take the, the job. And in the end, you know, as we know, as you mentioned earlier today, Theo is the only one sitting in jail. So, or three, Theo and Kristoff. So, but everyone forgets Kristoff is there. <laughs> I, I forgot about Kristoff. And he was just knocked out. You know, on Friday. Hashtag remember Kristoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the script just has a few minor discrepancies. Uh, one of the things is, is that instead of Holly screaming Jesus, she goes, John. And then his response is, Holly, we have to stop meeting like this instead of hi, honey. Oh, I, yeah. You know what? That's that's equally as quippy, but I really I prefer the hi, yeah. honey. I, I think it's a little more. We have to stop meeting like this would have been a little like, eh, come on, dude. But no, the high, yeah. I, I like that. Part. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I agree with that change. Yeah, for sure. So do I. I. I've agreed with most of the changes. There are very few things in this movie where where the script, the, the parts of the script that, that were changed are better than what they did in the movie. There are a few, but not many. Overall, do you know, was the script 
pulled from the book? Did you ever read the book? Yes, I did. And the script, we'll, we'll get into that later this week about some of the differences between the, 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 the book and the movie. But the book, basically, he's a retired cop who's in his 60s yeah. and he's visiting his daughter. He's not visiting his wife. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't care for the book, honestly. Okay. Well, I, I read it in 1988. That was the first time I read it, and I've I've skimmed oh, it. I, and I, I've skimmed it recently. It's been years since I read it, yeah. but I just I remember thinking like, you know what, the the movie's better. Well, of course, <laughs> come on. But the the book does have the whole thing with the with with the bare feet. You know, they, the the scriptwriter didn't need the Jeb Stewart or you know didn't need to think of that on his own. Yeah, they made the right call. Yeah, they they made the right changes. They, they used the bones of a really good story and then made it more visual. Yes. And I, I cannot argue with nope. that. I really can't. Neither can I. Neither can I. So the other changes in the script here is uh, when Hans talks about uh, the, but when his plan, he goes, when you steal $600, you can disappear. But when you steal $600 million, they will find you unless you play dead. That's what he says. Instead mm. of already dead, but so much better that, that it was already dead. And then it says – he tightly smiles and then says, which happens to be your next role, drop the gun, please. Oh, boy. Yeah. Too no, much. I'm, no. I'm glad that's not there. <laughs> too much. Too much. So, yeah, that, that that's basically the only things we have in the script there. So every Monday we have a segment called Die Hard on a Monday, where my guests will give their top five Die Hard doppelganger films. So, Jeanette, mm -hmm. what have you got for us? Start with your number five and work we, your and, way and, up. What a what a testament to how great the movie Die Hard is that for years afterwards, and I would say to this day, um, scripts are still sold on the fact, well, it's Die Hard Anna or Die Hard Meat. Yes. It's the movie was so good. It became its own genre. That is correct. Um, uh, so but unfortunately, I, unfortunately I can't think of any movie that has been able to match it though. There are some that have come close, but, but yeah. nothing has matched it. So yeah. I, I would say that the one I have for number one comes okay, close. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get I there. May have, I may have cheated uh, in in the middle of this list, but starting with number five. Okay. Um, and I like that I came up with these options simply by Googling uh, movies that are like Die Hard. Okay, there you go. And you get a whole list of things that you can choose from. Because I was like, God, there's so many. How do I narrow this down? And what? So uh, in the, what I what I learned after putting together this list is that I really enjoy movies that are Die Hard on a plane. Apparently. Yes. Um, number five for me is Air Force One. Okay. And it's it's Die Hard on a plane, but with the president. I think is what I would what I would call it. And I think the reason I like Air Force One is again the performances. When you have a great action movie, really the the puzzle pieces for a great action movie are a great set, good action set pieces, and a cast that can elevate basic materials. You don't have to have. Uh, an incredible script for a good action movie, but what you need are actors who can elevate a good script to great performances. Correct. And I think that between Harrison Ford and Gary Oldman, both of them carry that movie off really fantastically. So I really like Air Force One, number four. Okay. Number four, yep. uh, Die Hard on a Plane, Executive Decision. Ooh, that's a great one. Um, 1996. Sold itself as a Steven Seagal movie, but pulled a quick change into a Kurt Russell action movie, which I appreciate even well, more. Well, I, I love the fact that I mean, uh, I mean, the movie itself is is fun, but I'm not the biggest uh, Steven Seagal fan, so I love the fact that he dies like 20 minutes into the movie. 
Uh, spoiler yeah, alert. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> I really like it. And what this putting together this list did for me is make me want to like, I need to go back and rewatch a bunch of these. Yeah. So yeah, Air Force One executive decision, both on plane. Um, and then we get to number three and this might be a cheat. I did put Die Hard with a Vengeance. Okay. I don't know that that's allowed. Uh, other people so, have, have used other Die Hard movies. So, so that's fine. I, I really like, I, and I'm a person who I don't mind number two, which could be Die Hard on a Plane. Um, but I, I really like number three. And I think it's the adding Sam Jackson is a good counterpoint to um, John McClane tends to be a contained every man like this day kind of hero. And Sam Jackson is big. And when you put that next to him, I think that really works. I like that dichotomy. I really enjoyed having the two. Hodge brothers at the beginning. Aldous and Edwin Hodge playing the two kids. Love it. So in other words, you'll, and, you're going to want to come back when I when I do Die Hard 3. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I would love to. Um, but not Die Hard 2. Jeremy Irons. I, I don't mind being there for <laughs> Die Hard 2 either. I, give me the Robert Patrick minutes. Um, I, I enjoy the... You cannot... And we'll talk about this, but you cannot... Alan Rickman is... It's it. Yeah. Right. You can't do better than that. But Jeremy Irons is great, and he does a really good job. So, yes, Die Hard okay. 3, number three. Uh, moving up to number two, Die Hard on a Plane, um, Passenger 57. Is there a theme Passenger here? 57. <laughs> yeah, apparently. And I didn't realize that until I started putting it together. Um, because Con Air is the one that didn't make J- the list. Oh, J.M. J- Mark are going to be a little upset at you on that one. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you're it, – it's um, a good thing you're already on their show. No. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I that one is so quotable too. When I think Bruce Payne plays the yeah. villain, and when he comes into the cockpit, and the who's in charge? I am. Bang! Who's in charge? You are. <laughs> Come on! I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah. And and the the iconic line of "Always bet on black." You can't yeah. beat that. Wesley Snipes. There are several really, really great Wesley Snipes action movies. That Drop Zone, Drop Zone's my favorite, and and The Art of War is good. But man, Passenger Fifty Seven is kind of yeah. yeah my my problem with, with Passenger Fifty Seven is it was a fun movie, but it's too short. It's it's like eighty minutes. It's not even. It doesn't even reach the ninety minute mark. You know, and it, you're not gonna get me to agree with that, man. Give me a. My only complaint with Die Hard, you could probably trim 12 minutes from it, and I, it would be okay. But man, Where would you trim? There's I nothing to trim. But I know it. That's true, because nothing is waiting. You're just the credits, uh, So you the think. number one. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Cut out the credits. Or roll them fast. There you go. Um, <laughs> so number one, and this breaks the mold, because it's not on a plane. The others are all, except for Die Hard 3, on a plane. Um, under Siege. I, I think it's the one that does it the best. Yeah. And even, and like you said, and I'm not a huge Steven Seagal fan. There are other Steven Seagal movies I'd like. Uh, I like Hard to Kill. That might be it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Under Siege is my favorite Steven Seagal movie. No question about it. Under Siege is exceptionally done. And it, and again, it's because of the villains, right? Between Gary Busey and Tommy Lee uh, Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. It, it's fantastic. The two of them are great. The plan that the villains have to take over this naval vessel is fantastic. The sets, the way it's shot, the way it looks, it's great. It, and and the fact that a lot of the extras and or side characters are the same dudes from The Fugitive, I enjoy that. Yeah, okay, so, well, that, that's just I because really, you have the same director, so, you know. 
Well, yeah, but it's still fun. So I really like Under Siege. So that would be the one that Die Hard on a Boat instead of Die Hard on a Have you ever seen the package? So those are. Have you seen the package with Gene Hackman? Because that's also Andrew Davis. And they also. Tons of the same characters. Tons of the same actors. They're all like the Chicago actors, Uh, you know. I feel like, yeah, it's uh, it's all the Chicago Chicago crew of people. So, yeah. All right. Excellent. So there you go. Cool. I mean, that's a tight list. Yeah. They're all, they all kind of fit together. Very tight list. Yeah. Very, very nicely done. Uh, I, I think of those, the only one I really probably should rewatch is Passenger 57, since I've seen all the others recently. You know, Passenger 57, mm-hmm. it's just too short for me. That, that's what it comes up. You know. <laughs> it won't take you any time to rewatch That's true. That's true. Good point. Good point. All right, Jeanette, you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on all the socials. Um, I'm out there in the interwebs. Um, I, honestly, I've been most active on Instagram lately because I find it the easiest to deal with because it's I can post and be gone. Uh, so I'm at j.y.ward on uh, Instagram. And then I'm at j.y.ward on most of the other things. Um, and my site is then jwardadventures.blogspot.com where I keep my movie reviews, which um, I plan to get back on top of. The last couple of months have been very busy, so I'm a little behind. Um, but yeah. All right. Excellent. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, or you can go directly to my website, moviebrobminute.com. So, until tomorrow, yippee ki Yay! Yay!